If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of September 3, 2023. The podcast that makes CO2 from solar power. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's reify the news of the bogus. Back in April, we covered the passage of a bill in Arkansas to oppose a minimum age for accessing social media, a move that got Sarah Huckabee Sanders named idiot extraordinaire. Now, thankfully and predictably, the law has been invalidated by the United States District Court for the Western District of Arkansas as being an incredibly obvious violation of the First Amendment. The lawsuit was brought by NetChoice, a multinational association of internet and tech businesses, including Amazon, Google, Meta, eBay, PayPal, TikTok, and others, that previously challenged a similar law in Texas, which was also ruled unconstitutional by a federal district court. The first point was to declare it void for vagueness, quote, Act 689 not only imposes possible criminal and civil penalties on its companies that fail to comply with its requirements, but also interferes with their customers' access to constitutionally protected speech. The Void for Vagueness Doctrine provides that regulated parties should know what is required of them so they may act accordingly, and that precision and guidance are necessary so that those enforcing the law do not act in an arbitrary or discriminatory way. Here, Act 689 is unconstitutionally vague because it fails to adequately define which entities are subject to its requirements. The statute neither defines primary purpose, a term critical to determining which entities fall within Act 689's scope, nor provides any guidelines about how to determine a forum's primary purpose, leaving companies to choose between risking unpredictable and arbitrary enforcement and trying to implement the Act's costly age verification requirements. Such ambiguity renders a law unconstitutional. Arkansas had tried to claim it was obvious who was covered, but NetChoice called Snapchat executive David Boyle to the stand to say he thought his company wasn't covered until he heard one of the co-sponsors say otherwise. Not even the state's own expert witnesses could agree as to whether or not Snapchat was covered. As for the First Amendment, they ruled that the law is subject to strict scrutiny, and it's hilarious how the state shot themselves in the foot here. The court mentioned a mall that had a bar in it and said, quote, And so, certainly minors could not go sit at the bar and order up a drink, but they could go to the Barnes & Noble bookstore, or the clothing store, or the athletic store. The gatekeeping that Act 689 imposes is at the front door of the mall, Not the bar inside the mall, yes? Arkansas responded, The state's position is that the whole mall is a bar, if you want to continue to use the analogy. The court said, The whole mall is a bar? And the state responded, Correct. This caused the court to rule, Clearly, the state's analogy is not persuasive. The court noted the chilling effects, Quote, It is likely that many adults who otherwise would be interested in becoming account holders on regulated social media platforms will be deterred and their speech chilled as a result of the age verification requirements, which, as Mr. Allen testified, 
will likely require them to upload official government documents and submit to biometric scans. And they also reminded us that the First Amendment applies to children as well, quote, Act 689 bars minors from opening accounts on a variety of social media platforms, despite the fact that those same platforms contain vast quantities of constitutionally protected speech, even as to minors. It follows that Act 689 obviously burdens minors' First Amendment rights. And even though the state's goal of Internet safety for minors is admirable, the governmental interest in protecting children does not justify an unnecessarily broad suppression of speech addressed to adults. They also slammed the law for not being narrowly tailored. In fact, the state admitted that it wasn't just about creating an account, but having to continually determine what content will be shown to minors. And also, Internet companies will be subject to irreparable harm. Not only is it not clear which companies will be subject to regulation, the law, quote, is likely to abridge the First Amendment rights of users of NetChoices members' platforms, which will cause those users to suffer irreparable harm. No legal remedy exists to compensate Arkansans for the loss of their First Amendment rights. Here's hoping the ruling stands and other such dumb laws keep getting knocked down. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you create at Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. So, as we covered, a bunch of authors are suing OpenAI for using pirated copies of their books to train their large language models. They're saying this infringes on their copyright because ma DMCA. You can review our coverage back on the 9th of July for why their claims about the Books 2 and Books 3 libraries coming from pirate sources are specious at best. OpenAI has now filed their response and asked the court to dismiss these claims. Quote, None of these causes of action states a viable claim for relief because none of the legal theories challenged here actually condemns the conduct alleged with respect to ChatGPT, the language models that power it, or the process used to create them. It is important for these claims to be trimmed from the suit at the outset so that these cases do not proceed to discovery and beyond with legally infirm theories of liability. That would leave the direct copyright infringement as the only surviving claim. Back in June, we said that was the only one that had a chance anyway. OpenAI said that their claims, quote, misconceived the scope of copyright, 
failing to take into account the limitations and exceptions, including fair use, that properly leave room for innovations like the large language models now at the forefront of artificial intelligence. Numerous courts have applied the fair use doctrine to strike that balance, recognizing that the use of copyrighted materials by innovators in transformative ways does not violate copyright. The authors aren't merely claiming that OpenAI violated copyright when they allegedly downloaded the pirated books. They claim that every single output of ChatGPT and their other language models is a copyright violation. Quote, According to the complaints, every single ChatGPT output, from a simple response to a question, to the name of the President of the United States, to a paragraph describing the plot, themes, and significance of Homer's The Iliad, is necessarily an infringing derivative work of plaintiff's books. Worse still, each of those outputs would simultaneously be an infringing derivative of each of the millions of other individual works contained in the training corpus. Regardless of whether there are any similarities between the output and the training works, that is not how copyright works. Sometimes you have to wonder if a judge thinks they've never had a stupider case in their life. Of course, federal judges tend to be stupid, especially Biden appointees like this one, so we'll just have to see how it goes. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government censors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.pagosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. Alright people, hold on to your hats. I'm going to try to make these next two segments as concise as possible, but there's just so much. This one is about Fulton County, Georgia DA Fonnie Willis, who, as you probably recall, is the prosecutor in the Georgia case against Donald Trump and 18 co-defendants for having the audacity to challenge the results of the 2020 election. But as Benny Johnson reported on Twitter, or X, or whatever it is now, I'm just going to call it Twitter X, Willis did exactly the same thing on Election Day. He posted screenshots from her Facebook account on the 4th of November 2020, Election Day, the first of which read, Georgia could determine who is our next president. A team of lawyers needs to watch them count every single vote. They can start in Fulton, where we are having water leaks. What ballots are they throwing out? Georgia, let's give an honest accounting. No stunts. That exactly matches one of Trump's claims, 
that a suspiciously timed water main break led to the election observers being dismissed, after which officials went back in and started counting ballots in their absence. She had also called the election itself, quote, a mess, basically agreeing with Trump about poor election procedures nationwide. Of course, that was before she knew Biden was going to win. In a comment, she bemoaned the fact that white people were turning out at 116% a statistical impossibility. But then, basic math clearly isn't her strong suit. She had even done the same thing after the 2018 midterms, quote, Okay, I'm watching FGTV and Marvin Arrington Jr. request all ballots in Fulton County be counted again to make sure all votes counted. The other commissioners sat silent. No other commissioner seconded his motion. Ask yourself why. You all better start paying attention to what is really going on instead of reality TV and pay attention to reality. Hashtag SMDH. Yeah, grammar isn't her strong suit either. She had also posted, How many of you will vote in a December runoff? Secretary of State will definitely be on the ballot. That person controls elections. I wonder if we yet realize that is an important role. SMDH. That sounds a lot like the claims about the election in Arizona. Okay, away from blatant hypocrisy and on to her direct lies about the case. Two defendants, Ken Chesabro and Sidney Powell, are insisting on their right to a speedy trial. Willis said that doing so somehow means they give up their rights of discovery. She filed, The defendants cannot now argue that they are entitled to the state's discovery responses 10 days in advance of trial. Smith v. State, Ruff v. State. The defendants cannot now argue that they are entitled to notice of the state's similar transaction evidence 10 days in advance of trial. Brown v. State. The defendants are now precluded from calling any witnesses whose statements were not provided to the state at least 10 days in advance of trial. Clark v. State. And the defendants cannot now complain that they received less than 7 days notice of the trial date in this case. Linkus v. State. So. They don't get their 10 days for discovery, but she absolutely gets her 10 days for defense witness statements. She directly and explicitly discouraged them from exercising their constitutional right to a speedy trial, a clear violation of the law and her oath of office. So Technofog tweeted, or X'd, or whatever, that none of these cases say what Willis claims they did. As reiterated by Chesabro's legal team in a response, the first case, Smith, is about an entirely different issue. Quote, At the call of the calendar, Smith, who had demanded a speedy trial, stated that he intended to withdraw his demand and asked for a continuance. The court rejected his motion for a continuance. It had nothing to do with discovery. Same deal with Ruff. It was about a continuance, not discovery. As for Brown, that was made in complete compliance with the law. Quote, Although Rule 31.1 requires the notice of intent to present similar transactions to be filed at least 10 days before the trial, it authorizes the exercise of a trial court's discretion by providing that the trial court may shorten or lengthen the time for compliance with the rule. 
But Willis's argument is that the defense cannot even argue it. Clearly that's not the case. Man, it must be so much easier to be a lawyer these days when you can just look on Twitter X for people doing your research for you. Chesabro's team wrote, How can the state credibly write a motion with citations to cases that do not hold what the state is suggesting, asking this court to advise Mr. Chesabro that he has waived his statutory discovery rights because he also took advantage of his other statutory right to a speedy trial? And how can the state, with a straight face, then ask the court to hold Mr. Chesabro to the time limitations of the discovery statute? Put bluntly, the state's suggestions and misapplication of legal precedent are borderline sanctionable. Technofog twitxed, It's a violation of Georgia Code Section 16-10-20.1 false statement to court, which reads, quote, it shall be unlawful for any person to knowingly file, enter, or record any document in a public record or court of this state or of the United States, knowing or having reason to know that such document is false or contains a materially false, fictitious, or fraudulent statement or representation. Willis has clearly violated that statute. And remember that the state has had two and a half years to work on their case. Chesabro's lawyers wrote, The state should not just be allowed to sit on its thumbs to run down the clock as late as possible to gain a tactical advantage in this litigation. To allow otherwise would let the state skirt Georgia law and usurp the power to decide when and if they choose to meet their statutory obligations without fear of any consequence from the court. Personally, I can't wait to see what she does next. Stay tuned. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to tetrapinate this week's biggest bogani emitter. And this week it goes to Judge Tanya Chutkin, who is presiding over one of the other Trump cases, the one about the Jan 6 so-called insurrection. You'll recall I said at the time exactly why they're calling it an insurrection. Because they can use it to get around all sorts of constitutional restrictions. And they're doing just that. After, like the judges in the other trials, she scheduled it right smack dab in the middle of campaign season, she had the audacity to say at a recent hearing, quote, 
The fact that Trump is running a political campaign has to yield to the orderly administration of justice. If that means he can't say exactly what he wants to say about witnesses in this case, that's how it has to be. Yes, a direct attack on his First Amendment rights while he's campaigning for office! The fact is, Chutkin has been as political as she possibly can be, making tons of incendiary statements of her own, not only in this case, but other cases involving Jan 6 defendants. As we covered, she's such a political hack, she even gave many of them longer sentences than even the prosecution was asking for. She's previously made statements that the Jan 6 protests constituted an insurrection, in fact, a mob attack, on the very foundation of our democracy, and Trump was its orchestrator, meaning she's anything but impartial and, in fact, has her mind completely made up. Also, someone let her know that the foundation of our country is the Constitution, not a podium. Also, it's a republic, not a democracy. She even said back in October before sentencing Christine Priola, quote, People who mobbed that capital were there in fealty and loyalty to one man, not to the Constitution, of which most of the people who come before me seem woefully ignorant, not to the ideals of this country, and not to the principles of democracy. It's a blind loyalty to one person who, by the way, remains free to this day. Maybe they're not the ones who are woefully ignorant of the Constitution, Chutkin. The first link in the show notes gives a bunch of other examples. Instead of simply sentencing defendants, she has reveled in scolding and lecturing them, which is supposed to be conduct unbecoming a judge. In fact, you really only see it in kangaroo courts like the Ross Ulbricht case. And just this past Monday, in this very case, she compared this trial to the Boston Marathon bombing and the trial of 9-11 conspirator Zacharias Musawi. She even scolded Trump's lawyers for not preparing for his case years before he was indicted. Seriously, quote, Certainly it was reviewed by Mr. Trump's counsel before this case came in. This is not brand new information. Some of it are statements. Some of it are materials of your client's own creation. In other words, this may be new to you, but some of this material are statements of your client and materials created by your client or entities associated with him. That's not brand new information, is it? Trump's attorney, John Laro, tried to explain, quote, Of course it is. Of course. To a criminal defense lawyer, it's brand new information. That's like saying if a CEO of a public company was before your honor and had responsibility for running a company, Oh, they've seen all the information that the company has. Why do you need time to prepare? They've already had it for years. She just brushed him off. Laro told her, quote, The concept that we would have had access to materials in the archives, in Secret Service, in other government agencies, that that would somehow enable us to prepare for trial because we should have already been reading that material for the last two and a half years is absurd and ridiculous. She also downplayed the fact that the prosecution is saddling them with 12.8 million pages of discovery for a start. 
According to the defense, Discovery is already over 9 terabytes. She also said that he can review documents electronically when he tried to explain why that wasn't the case. By the way, she said the fact that it took the prosecution over two years to bring the case was perfectly fine because of COVID. And by the way, after repeatedly saying that Trump would be treated no differently from any other defendant, she said, quote, I understand Mr. Trump is presumed innocent, as is every defendant, but let's not overlook the fact that Mr. Trump has considerable resources that every criminal defendant does not usually have. Seriously, read through this transcript. If anything, she's worse than I'm making her out to be here. She even criticized the basic defense function of polling the jury pool, saying it would affect their impartiality. D.C. juries are in no way impartial, by the way. They're over 95% anti-Trump. Section 455 of Title 28 of the U.S. Code says, quote, Any justice, judge, or magistrate judge of the United States shall disqualify himself in any proceeding in which his impartiality might reasonably be questioned. So, under the law, she absolutely should recuse herself. But she won't because she cares far more about politics than the law, justice, or fairness. Ordinarily, this is way beyond even what a prosecutor would tolerate, because they usually avoid situations that would get the trial overturned by a higher court. But again, this is scheduled for the middle of campaign season, and the real purpose of these trials is to take time and money away from Trump that he could be using to campaign. Want more proof? She set the trial date to the day before Super Tuesday. That and other aspects caused legal scholar Mike Davis to say, quote, We're looking at Democrat lawfare on several different fronts. He panned the trial date, quote, She said at the hearing setting this absurd, obscenely short trial period that President Trump should have known that he was going to be indicted for a year. He should have predicted he was going to be indicted. So he should have been going through his documents already for the last year, and he should just defer to the Biden Justice Department, including Jack Smith, on what they determine is important and not important on those 12 million pages of records. And then we can have this trial the day before Super Tuesday. Trump is clearly not going to get a fair trial in Washington, D.C., with this Obama judge who's clearly partisan, clearly biased against President Trump. That's been very clear. She's very biased against January 6th defendants. She's made comments about President Trump during those trials, while at the same time, she defends the much more deadly and much more destructive Black Lives Matter rioters across America. So all of that makes Judge Tanya Chutkin this week's biggest Bogani Metter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. 
To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now, let's bratisify this week's... Idiot And it's another one for Joe Biden, this time for his Department of Justice suing Elon Musk and SpaceX for not hiring immigrants, limiting employment to citizens and permanent residents. The DOJ said that SpaceX, quote, fail to fairly consider or hire asylees and refugees because of their citizenship status and imposed what amounted to a ban on their hire regardless of their qualification in violation of federal law. The problem is, international traffic and arms regulations require SpaceX to only hire citizens and permanent residents, according to Musk. Quote, SpaceX was told repeatedly that hiring anyone who was not a permanent resident of the United States would violate international arms trafficking law, which would be a criminal offense. We couldn't even hire Canadian citizens despite Canada being part of NORAD. This is yet another case of weaponization of the DOJ for political purposes. So... One law says he can't hire immigrants without a permanent green card. Another law says he has to. And Musk said the reason behind the restriction, quote, is that U.S. companies who have advanced weapons technology, such as rockets with intercontinental range, must hire people who are permanent American residents so that the technology does not fall into the hands of countries who wish us harm. This isn't anything new or secret. Musk and SpaceX have for years been pointing out this regulation, which dates back to the Cold War in 1976. But the DOJ just doesn't care. In their lawsuit, they wrote, SpaceX's discriminatory hiring practices were routine, widespread, and long-standing, and harmed asylees and refugees. It's just idiotic! Why wouldn't Musk want to hire refugees from the Russian space program? It's just another desperate attempt to paint Musk as anti-labor. SpaceX founding employee and aerospace engineer Tom Mueller wrote on Twitter X, So if I let a non-U.S. citizen see our rocket hardware, I go to ITAR jail. But if I don't hire a non-U.S. citizen, I get sued by DOJ. Got it. Musk said, quote, The weaponization of government agencies needs to stop. This fundamentally undermines public faith in the justice system. And you know what else undermines faith? The fact that the DOJ also requires citizenship for employment. Just check out the link in the show notes to see this restriction on a job listing, not for a rocket engineer, not for a job handling classified information, but for a recreation specialist. 
Other aerospace engineer positions, like those at Northrop Grumman, also require citizenship, as do jobs at the Pentagon and even the Federal Reserve. This is nothing more than an attack on Musk, suing him for something he had no legal choice but to do. In this case, which showcases not only blatant hypocrisy, but also its politicization and weaponization of the federal government, shows once more what the Biden administration is all about. So all of that makes Joe Biden this week's Well, that wraps up this. They come here. They all come here. How do they find me? Edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from T.S. Eliot. When a term has become as universally sanctified as democracy now is, I begin to wonder whether it means anything in meaning too many things. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Low Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.